the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So, as you face your life full of difficulties that might have been brought on by Christians that have not been walking with the Lord, that have come against you to betray you or to bring more harm to you financially or relationally, I want you to still hold your head up high because the Bible says that we can still rejoice in what is happening. I thought about this as I went through this passage and I asked myself, what were three favorable results or benefits that Paul got out of having these people come against him? The first of all was this, when he preached the gospel, it cleared up for all the people that were around him that his life wasn't about Paul, but his life was about Christ. So when people come against you, or circumstances are against you, then you're saying a loud statement to them, I don't care, you can't make it difficult for me, because whatever you throw at me, I'm going to turn around and give glory to the Lord, I'm still going to shine with genuine joy, and I'm going to further the gospel with this thing. So as you're looking at this, you're going to be a testimony to the outsiders that it's all about Christ no matter what happens and not about you and your pity party. The second I put down here for me is that most believers now could become encouraged because they can look at who's come against me. Let me tell you a story, and I don't always win on my difficulties. Believe me, I have, a, I have, a, I have my own issues, as, as we all do. But many of you kind of remember... A long time ago, maybe a year or so ago, we had an individual, uh, a man that we really wanted to minister to. He came here into our building after he was given what we call a no trespass warning because he broke into our building three times. The night before he came into the building, we told him not to come on our property, but I'll speak with him on our sidewalk anytime he wants because I really was willing to keep a door of opportunity of ministry open to him. That morning on Sunday, many of you were here and you'll remember the story. He showed up, but he didn't just show up on our property. He was with our children in one of our rooms and he was banging on the piano and making all sorts of statements that were bizarre. And so obviously I was immediately called and I grabbed a couple of, you know, so if this guy wanted to take a poke at me, I could hide behind Jeff. And so we were out there meeting people, greeting people. And as this all happened, this man was screaming at me up on the third floor banging the phone down, slamming doors, hitting the keys and the computers, you know, the keyboard and all of this. And for that moment, I can only tell you, there was an overwhelming sense of God's peace in my mind. I did not fear for my life. I did not fear what I was going to do next. I'll be honest, I didn't know what I was going to do next, but I didn't fear like because I didn't know we're going to have catastrophe. I just knew that I had to speak as little as possible to this person so I would not inflame him anymore. And secondly, I remember the verse, Spirit brought it back, that said, a soft answer turned the way wrath. So I lowered my voice, spoke slower, and was calm and quiet around this individual. 
Later that morning, he was found hiding in Carol's office, and the police did have to take him away for the protection of our people, and this story goes on and on. The testimony, though, was that there was a couple people that saw what went on through this bit of affliction, because this person was cursing at me and just saying all manner of ugliness. This person said, you know, I gained so much encouragement by how you handled that situation. I gained so much respect for you. I, I know that respect is fragile. Any moment I could do something stupid, which I probably will do, and I'll lose that respect or it might go down a notch. But here is my point. When I was faced with that difficult situation, I was not thinking about, what will people think of me? I wasn't thinking about, I hope I handle this right so I get all the praises of the board. I hope I do this right so none of the kids get hurt. All I wanted to do is I wanted to honor God at that one moment. And for whatever reason, that choice was the right reason, and God filled me with his spirit. Now, that testimony is for you. By the way, that person has tried to kill me. I have a restraining order on him. It's, it, it's, it's not done yet, okay? But here's why I want you to know, is whatever difficulty that you go through, we might look and say, well, that was the great Apostle Paul. He could make it through. I wanted to share one time that I did it right out of the many times I did it wrong, but it still can be done. And so if I can do this with my own propensity for challenges and personalities and all of that, I want you to know that you'll be facing difficulties and God can fill you full of his spirit, his peace, and his joy. So in some measure, watch this, God will not only get glorified. I'm not sure that the gospel went out with this young man, but I do know this, that it encouraged those who witnessed what was going on and how I handled it. So simple question is this, we will be a witness. Will we be a right witness or a wrong witness, a good witness or a bad witness? Because people are watching us. So it all comes back to determine a priority to live by. Is it going to be to bring glory to the Lord and the gospel to other people? So no matter what comes around us, it gives us a heavenly perspective that it's no longer about us, but it is about him. Let's continue with this thought for a moment. What is your perspective to live by? I hope it is Jesus Christ comes first, not pleasing other people, not furthering our cause, but Jesus Christ. Let's go to number three. We learned about discovering a perspective to live from. We also now learned how important it was to determine a priority to live by, and I hope yours is to glorify the Lord and to make Christ known. The third thing is we have to depend on a power to live on. I know the grammar doesn't go real good there, but I know you get my point. Depend on a power to live on. These two verses are incredibly pivotal here. Let's look at them together. Let me read them to you. Would you follow along carefully? Because I want the word of God to minister to all of us. It says this, for I know that. Now, you may want to underline that. Paul is now saying, I know that. That's like I'm having a, I have a conviction. I discovered. I'm determined. I know this for a fact. I know that this will turn out for my salvation. In other words, no matter what the difficulty is, I will still be saved out of this. Now, for just a moment, let me try to clarify something. If we're in a difficulty right now, and we're saying, if I handle it right, the difficulties will go away, that's not what this is saying. What it is saying is that I'll be saved out of these difficulties. In other words, I will emerge from these difficulties a stronger, better person. It doesn't mean if I do it right, the problems will diminish. So some of you that are going to try to serve the Lord thinking that I'll get rid of my problems, that's not going to happen. But if you say, these problems are going to come and go, there will be an ebb and a flowing on my problems. Everybody is going to have that. Scripture says so. But I can emerge from these problems 
a stronger, better person. And so we go into this thing making Christ the Lord of our life as a Christian. Then we choose to live totally for Him and to make Him known to others that no matter what goes on, we can emerge from these problems a better and stronger person. But now there's some key in this passage. It says this. He says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer. Would you underline that? It's interesting how that even though that he has this relationship upward with the Lord, he also recognizes the value, the critical essentiality of people praying for him, and he recognizes that by acknowledging it. I know it's through your prayer. So put number one there. Then number two in the verse, it says, and the supply or the provision, which that's what it means, of the spirit of Jesus Christ. So he says, I know that I'll emerge a better person by you praying for me and by the spirit of God giving me all that's necessary so that during, I go, while I go through these problems, I can emerge stronger. Now go on with the verse. It says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. In other words, he can emerge from the problems. They won't go away, but he won't be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body. In other words, problems don't go away, but Christ is even amplified in my body. Whether it be by life, which means if I still have to live with these problems forever, I still have a magnified Christ, I emerge stronger, or maybe even by death, that even if I die with these problems, I'm still a better person when I see Jesus in heaven again. And he says it's through your prayers and through the supply of the provision of the Spirit. So, for just a moment, let me tell you what can happen when we have difficulties. I, I don't know about you, but uh, let, me, let me explain what can happen to me. I'm a kind of person that um, not only do, do problems come my way, but in my mind I'm always anticipating what would happen if there would be a problem. I'm kind of like one of those people that I bring two battery chargers for my cell phone when I go on vacation in case I lose one and can't find one. Y'all know what I, maybe you're not weird like that. Some of you are going to say, boy, that's compulsive possessive. He needs counseling. It may be very true, but I anticipate these kind of problems that come my way. I am a problem solver. My relationship with Carol, she brings me a problem and sometimes I'm boom, I want to give her the answer right away. It's not always right, but I want to be the answer man. I know that some of you might be in that same boat. You may be wired. That may be your personality. It may be because you've been raised to a position where you're, you, you've been um, expected to have answers for everybody that's there. Now, with that being the case, when a problem comes your way, those of us who tend to want to be quick problem solvers, we begin to try to quickly solve the problem, get it rid, get it gone. Maybe even think about it overnight. Lose sleep over this thing if it's a bigger problem. Figure out who's to blame and how you can get it right and all of that. When we begin to totally immerse ourselves, watch this now, in our problem, in our flesh, after a while, that problem, and the longer it lingers, it begins to diminish our energy. It diminishes our joy quickly. It's like sucking joy away from us. It's like it's a joy robber from us. And the reason it's a joy robber is because we have not depended upon the power that we needed to be able to handle the problem with wisdom and strength and patience and peace and all of that. So what we do then is we say, I'm getting so tired, we then begin to fill up our life with fixes, whether it's a caffeine fix or we sleep too much or we, we try to get rid of this feeling of I can't handle this any longer instead of saying, wait a second, these problems are our way. We cannot handle this thing apart from, watch this now, the prayers of God's people and the fact that the Spirit of God will supply. Two specific things cause Paul to rejoice. Number one, the prayers of God's people, that's human. Secondly, the provision of the Spirit of Christ, that's divine. So the prayers comes from the human part, 
and power, provision, comes from the divine part. All right, now, that's being said. The Holy Spirit chose to have Paul write that in Scripture, that he would be strengthened, Christ would be magnified if people pray. So we know that people praying for us is biblical. It is not a weak thing, which now tells me this deeper lesson. When I'm going through difficulties, some of us have so much pride that we cocoon and we don't share our difficulties. And it's pride because I don't want everybody to know because maybe they won't like me. Maybe they'll, they'll think it's my fault for the problems. Or if I, if I tell them I have problems, I'll look like a weak person around them. And it's none of their business to know all of this stuff. Or I'll burden them and I don't want to do that. And the, the list goes on and on why we don't share. Check your own motives. Where this passage, Paul, God wanted Paul to express this, prompted Paul to say, it is by your prayers. So for another person to pray for you, they need to know about what they need to pray for you. Paul outlined very much through writings to other churches the struggles that he went through. He talked about it here. I've been in chains. I'm in prison. You know all about me. He's telling everybody. There's no pride about Paul. He's humbly saying, man, look what's happened to me. And he now knows it needs you to pray for him. Now, take it to another level. You know what true fellowship is? Fellowship is when people have something in common. They may not have the same difficulty that Paul has, but they all have their same difficulties. And by praying for one another, that unites us. Why do you think in the old days churches would have tremendous prayer meetings? And sometimes it's very tedious when Johnny over here is talking all about a great uncle that nobody's ever met before, that never heard of this person and will never meet before, but he's sharing about it. When they share about that need, there's connectivity that's going on that bonds the body together. And watch this now. When you pray, believing God will answer and you'll receive. So now they're seeing God move in people's lives, which encourages the body. So here's what we're doing. Paul is saying, I am encouraged. I will be strengthened. Christ will be magnified. I'll be delivered through your prayers for me. So folks, what we need to do if we want to handle difficult situations, share it with people. Don't whine about it. Don't blame place. Don't give a bragamony in your testimony or your request for prayer, but let people genuinely know. Now, does it have to be everybody in the world? I don't know. Scripture isn't clear on that. For me, it probably would be selective people that I know that really do care, will really pray. Watch this now. And they have a close connection with God. Who wants to give it to somebody who never gets their prayers answered? So you want to give it to somebody who has connectivity to God. So share your burdens with other people. It is okay to do that. And by the way, if you're praying for me, then my responsibility is to shut up long enough, I know that's not a phrase, you know what I mean, so that you could tell me your problems, and I pray that I care enough about you, that I will pray for you, and that I too am connected to the Lord, so my prayers for you will be answered. But now the second is the provision of the Spirit in there, and of course the only way we're going to make it through our difficult situations is going to be from the Lord. Now, this is what is so cool. This is so cool. God permits the circumstance to come against us. He says, I do it so that you would um, glorify me, that you would have Christ magnified in you. In other words, you'll grow yourself. At the same time, you're going to further the gospel. But he also says this, I love you so much, I permitted that circumstance in, so it is all about me, but now I'm going to send my spirit to you so that when you go through that difficulty, you can go through the difficulty with joy. So I'm going to help you. I'll be right there with you. So he doesn't just dump all the junk on us. He expects us to live a different life, and he sits back and laughs. He's right there to help us. And so I want you to know it's all about Christ. It's all about furthering the gospel, and it's all about him giving us the power to go through all of this. Look at the phrase again. He says, for I know that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayer 
and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he says, my earnest expectation, I believe it, I have hope, I know it's going to happen. And let me give you the fourth principle. If you just take these four, and by the power of the Spirit of God, you give it to the Lord, we can handle difficult situation, and that is to decide on a purpose to live for. What is our purpose to live for? So let's look at it together. Would you follow along as I read it to you? It goes like this. For to me, to live is Christ. All right, now think about that. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, that means in my body, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet, what I shall choose, I can't tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two. First, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. And second, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is, oh, I love this, I love it, to remain here is more needful for you. It's not about me now. I don't want to be here because of me. I want to be here for you, for Christ, for you. And then it goes on to say, in being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy of faith. So in other words, I'm going through this and God is going to help me magnify Christ. It's going to further the gospel, it's going to bring glory to him, but it's also going to be progress for you and you're going to have joy so that you're rejoicing for me, maybe more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. You know, I have to think that Paul was a tired puppy, or maybe I should say he was a worn-out workhorse. He did lose some things. Listen to some of his losses. He lost his friends. We know that in Scripture. Some abandoned him. He lost his ministry in the sense what he was wanting to do and where he wanted to go. He couldn't go there. He lost his freedom. Who would like to spend most of their ministry in jail, chained of guys you don't really know, who are smelly, and then you lose your privacy? You know, sometimes we forget about that. How many of you like your privacy? I like my privacy. You know, I like to, you know, close my door and kind of have my privacy. Can you think of the Apostle Paul chained to guards 24 hours a day, every time he wanted to eat, burp, and even go to the bathroom? And I won't go any further, folks. He had no privacy. So he lost an awful lot. But you know what he said? He said, for me to live is what? Everyone is Christ. Now... I got something out of this morning's paper. I, I, I can only think that the Lord might have had me get to it because I don't read the paper in the morning before church. The worldview works so hard to get us to feel that what we have is not good enough. We have difficulties. And then the worldview is so good because they're driven by greed that they say to get out of your problems or the feeling of depression and discouragement and despondency and, and all that that goes with your problems, you need to spend money, or they do it this way, you need to have things so that it will make you feel better if you can't get rid of your problems. Other times they'll say, you do have a problem, but if you buy this, that problem will be gone. And God isn't trying to remove the problems necessarily as he wants to be glorified through it, further the gospel, Christ be magnified and others. I could, I could sit back here and I could look at this and say, look at how bad the world is. What I'd rather do is to say, that's how bad the world is, but let's look how great Christ is. And so now some of you are sitting back and you're saying, boy, that is really bad stuff. But that stuff bombards us. I imagine if I go through the paper, there's going to be one ad after another ad. And what they're going to tell me is, you're going to have difficulties if you don't get this. You have difficulties to get rid of it. Buy this. Or they'll say, hey, you know what? I'll tell you right now. 
Stay with your difficulties, but at least feel good about it. So buy that. And so they're going to try to get me to resolve my difficulties the world system way. And yet the Bible says, Paul is our example. He says, for me to live is Christ. It's not a new computer. Watch this now. This is heavier. It's not to prove to my kids that I love them. It is not to get them to love me back or to think I'm one of the better parents in the school. It's all about Christ and Christ alone. I put down here for me, what does the media try to make me feel? First of all, regarding pressures, or excuse me, possessions. They tempt me to buy things that I don't want with money I don't have to impress people I don't even like. They try to get me, the world tries to get me to keep up with the Joneses. Only that when I do, I find out that the Joneses have refinanced and I've got to start all over again. Pleasure. They try to tell me that there's quick fixes and a quick pleasure if I would spend money. And so they get me to try to spend more money. They say to relieve the uncomfortableness and the lack of joy during difficulties, eat more food, go to restaurants, spend more money, do the things that will give me that momentary fix of pleasure at that moment. The only problem, watch this now, this is heavy. Not only will it not fix it for the long run, it really complicates it for the long run. It is like throwing sand in the gears of our life and career and relationship with God. And then I think of power and position and prestige and popularity. We dress for success and then we drive to impress. We wear a power Aloha shirt to a power lunch and we pay for it with a power card. We end up going places thinking that if we do this, we'll get all this attention. And kids are a lot like that too. They'll, they'll compromise what they can get because they're unhappy thinking I can get out of this difficulty if I get people to like me. Then they, it'll work, by the way. You'll be a hero one week and a zero the next week because it will not satisfy for the long haul. So how would you fill in the blank? For to me, to live is what? You have a blank there. How would you fill it in? Now I'm going to give you some that we Christians sometimes will fill it up with. We'll say, for me to live is my career. i got to have that career. got to find out where I'm going. My education or degree, so we live for our education or degree. For me to live is a social life. I'm lonely. i got to have friends. i got to have popularity. i got to go out on Friday night. Everybody else has somebody. I need somebody. For me to live is my popularity. For me to live is a nice home. For me to live as a businessman is to increase my bottom line. For me to live now is to build my ministry. I've got to have a bigger ministry. I'm competing against others in other states or other ministries to show that I can still do it. I've been in it a long time. For me to live is to educate my kids. For me to live is to improve my health so I just chase the elusiveness of a long life. For me to live is to have a comfortable retirement so I save so much and I give back to God and the kingdom works so little. When I die, I give my money to all my family but I do not give it to further kingdom work in my will. For me to live as a life partner, and I've got to find one, and you'll compromise just to get married, and once I do, I'll just confess it and go on later on. I will tell you this, folks. All those that I listed, listen, listen carefully. None of those are necessarily bad. It's good to have a career. It's good to educate your kids. It's good to have a social life. It is good to build your ministry, but it's when your whole life is centered around those then it becomes wrong because our life needs to be for Christ. Now, since it is for Christ, the rest of those things begin to take a healthy perspective and priority in our life again. And so that's why we have to say, for me to live is Christ. Life is not judged by duration. 
how long it is. Our life is really judged by donation. What do we give back for Christ? Do we give him glory? Do we give out the gospel? Are we magnifying Christ? And are others having joy and encouragement because of our joy in our own life? And I don't know what kind of a commitment and consecration we have, but some people give a first-class commitment to second-class causes, and I pray we give a first-class commitment to Christ. So for me to live is Christ. So here's my question, and we'll end with this. Why in the world did God leave you and me here sometimes to face an endless stream of difficulties? And the answer from the passage is for glory to Christ and to bring Christ to those who don't know him. And I pray that today's message, if anything, it woke up within us or returned back to those thrilling days when we were at camp and we dedicated our lives to the Lord to live for him. And for some of you that have not come fully back there, I pray that for you today will be the first day of the rest of your life with a Christian worldview that you will not deny the existence nor the coming of difficulties, but that now you're willing to say, for me, I have discovered God's perspective on my problems, and that's to further the gospel. I've determined God's priority to live by, and that is that the name of Christ would be known. I've depended upon God's power to live on so that Christ would get all the glory back. He gave me the power to give back to Him, and I've decided on God's purpose to live for, for Christ and the joy of Christ that I can help others have by a life that has Christ at the center. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.